0: everybody. You are listening to Just Screen It, case studies in creative distribution. I am your host, Colin Stryker, and I am not an expert in creative or self-distribution of independent film, uh, although maybe I'm becoming a little bit more of one after every interview I do. I don't know. You tell me. Uh, I am an independent filmmaker working towards making my first narrative feature a horror film entitled The Grove. Uh, And as I've been contemplating my own eventual distribution strategy, I've been looking at self-distribution as a potential option, but I've found that there's not a whole lot of information out there to understand how it's worked for people. So I decided to start this podcast to help capture some of the experiences of those who have already been through it, whether successful or otherwise, and from those experiences, help both listeners and myself better understand this really complex, crazy landscape of independent film distribution today. So, each week, I will be bringing on a filmmaker who has self-distributed or been personally involved in the distribution of their film. My hope is that future filmmakers can take the knowledge gleaned from the show and use it to make their own decisions on how to best distribute their films. Hey everybody. So, today on the program, I've got something a little bit different for you. I'm bringing you my one-of-a-kind conversation with Baraka Noel an L.A.-based filmmaker and stand-up comedian. So, Baraka and I really just had a fun conversation here, certainly not one of my more structured interviews, but that's totally okay. This was just fun sort of stream of consciousness back and forth about a whole bunch of things film-related, distribution sometimes, maybe sometimes not so much. But again, it's all related, and it's all about what it's like to be an independent filmmaker today, just trying to get your movies out there, seen by people, connecting, I, I don't really want to say too much because the conversation kind of speaks for itself here, but I'll just say that if you've been listening to the show for a while, I think you'll definitely want to tune into this one because it's a little bit different. And we cover some really cool stuff here. Baraka's is so much fun to talk to. We go off in so many cool directions. I just want to dive right in. So without any further delay, here is my let's just see where it goes conversation with Baraka Noel.
1: My name is Baraka Noel. Yeah, my stand-up act is Kaufman. My hip-hop act is Young Marks, so flexible. Oh, okay. All right. All
0: good. That's why I think we had a little bit of confusion on Twitter because I had Young Marks, and then I had Baraka Noel as two different people that I was talking to about being on the podcast, and then I realized that you're the same person. <laughs> so yeah, let's just start out. Why don't you just tell us about who you are, what got you into filmmaking, what you do, and kind of just get an origin, origin story on you, and we'll go from there.
1: <laughs> For sure. I'll start by saying, your name, your name is Stryker, and I thought that was so fascinating because I went to school with a Stryker, and I don't know if it's a coincidence or what that is. But oh. her name was Gracia okay. Stryker. She spelled it with a Y. Oberlin College. She spelled it with a Y. Stryker with a Y. Yes. Yeah. We're all. I believe. For, I mean, you know, it was a long time ago, but yeah. Yeah, we're
0: all presumably related. Like anybody who spells it with a Y in the US is descended from these two brothers that came over from the Netherlands in like 1600s or something like that and started the Stryker family in America. At least that's what I understand. I don't know if that's definitely true or not, but. You know, there's like a, a distant cousin of mine who wrote like a whole genealogy on the Stryker family and stuff like that. So yeah, she may be a distant cousin of mine. <laughs> you know, I don't know, but I don't it's a great think I know name. her personally. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I like it. Colin Stryker. It's, people tell me it's a good name. It's a good filmmaker oh, yeah. name. So yeah, I, I enjoy it's it. It's
1: like a good superhero name. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's it's good and unique. As far as I know, there's no other Colin Stryker in the world. I Google it once in a while to see if, you know, anybody's come up the ranks, but
1: haven't haven't had one yet. That's so funny because there are a bunch of Baraka Noel are there. (laughs) I've never met another Baraka in person. I've talked to them on the phone or heard about them or whatever. But uh, apparently it's very common. So anyway, like getting started with film, I guess origin story is funny because I don't consider myself to have accomplished anything really (laughs) in film yet. So I I kind of feel like I'm still carving away at it. But I will say I went to school for acting. It was stage acting and I kind of had wanted to be involved in film for most of my life starting, you know, very young, maybe five, you know, I was raised by a person who was all about books and like inundated me with novels. I sort of had to find TV and film on my own when I could. But when I was growing up, I would get paid like five dollars to like empty the trash and clean the bathroom, whatever, every week. And I would take that five dollars without fail. And I would always take it to the movies. And back then you could actually buy a movie ticket for five dollars. Yep. And so I can't even buy a soda for five dollars. (laughs) Right. Oh, my God. Well, I couldn't afford soda, but I would sometimes maybe smuggle things in. Maybe not, Uh, (laughs) but I would definitely go and stay as long as possible. Twelve hours. If I could eight hours. Okay. I would watch like two movies, three movies, if I could four movies. And so I've been sort of obsessed with film. I think actually I might have to thank my mother. Because she she never let us have a TV in the house for a good chunk of my childhood, you know, at least till like maybe six. Yeah, I think we really did maybe five. We didn't have the TV, and so I think there was some sort of majesty. And even when I grew up, my time, my TV time was limited. So like going to the theater was like a transportation away from my life. Mm -hmm. And I feel like for a lot of people who love film, it's like that. It's like you find this other space that almost gives you another life but doesn't quite and then you Mm -hmm. try to get closer to making that your actual life yeah but i didn't start really making films until later i think i collaborated on a short film at at Oberlin, but they didn't have a film program so it was a whole stage but i did take a screenwriting class from a professor named dan sean who's a very Mm -hmm. talented novelist dan sean Mm -hmm. he has a novel called await your reply that i would suggest anyone i would especially suggest it to filmmakers and I really think someone needs to adapt it into a film, but I I don't want to spoil it, so I hesitate to talk about it too much. But he taught me basic screenplay structure and, and sort of implied to me that I wasn't terrible at it. Yeah. So I wrote one script as a final for his class that it hasn't been produced. I did give it to someone the first like 11 pages of it mm-hmm. to try to shoot something, and that might turn into something, but I have some reservations about how it was shot and I don't know if that project is moving along or not. Yeah. And then it wasn't until a lot later that I sort of got more connected to other filmmakers. And that's for me, witnessing someone else doing it is the way that I usually can envision whether I can do it or not. And mm-hmm. so it took me a while to really feel like <laughs> I could put my hands in a film, you know?
0: Yeah. Totally makes sense. So yeah, I I mean I watched some of your shorts on YouTube, you know, kind of got a feel you're you're definitely operating in a non-traditional way, making kind of non-traditional films, which I you know, very much enjoy. I don't mean that in a bad way Thank at you. all.
1: You I know. think it's accurate for sure. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's cool. So, you know, what are your sort of ambitions as a filmmaker? What do you think you want to accomplish? If that question even makes sense, you know, maybe it doesn't
1: even make sense. Maybe you just want to make stuff. Just no, to- it makes a lot of sense. I will show you one piece of it. This is kind of, I'm grabbing something right now. Let's see. I recently had an interesting conversation with my girlfriend that involved all of my items being like bagged up and thrown into the hall so it's a little disarray. <laughs> but this is an example, yeah, of like some of the feature scripts that I have. Okay. Yeah. Seeing a big pile of pages here for those who are listening. <laughs> there's also there's this this actually might be more evocative. This is a 14 episode series that I wrote it's not in its entirety because it hasn't been completed, but I wrote 14 episodes, which ended up being approximately like five features if, if it's carved up. Yeah. Murder in Mid City, which is a whole other conversation. So I have all these scripts. I don't yeah. know if you curse on your podcast, so I'm trying to. No, hold no back. it's
0: all good. <clears throat> I have
1: all these fucking scripts. Yeah. <laughs> that I want to shoot. Yeah. And I have shot very little of my own. I've made improvisational films, I've worked with other people on films but I've never directed one of my own feature scripts. So that's like one thing I definitely want to do. I would like to yeah. make some of these films. One of them's like a contained horror that is essentially a play that takes place almost entirely in the basement of a house. Everything wow. that's shot takes place within one house. Yep. And so I think in theory that could be shootable. I'm working on a feature script that's very contained that again, if I had a team and equipment and like a little money, I could shoot, but I'm only on, I have the outline, but I'm only on page 18 of the actual script. Yeah, My goal is to shoot my scripts because I believe in them. And I also recognize that at least where my writing style is now, it's not super likely that without a close personal connection, that someone will receive my script, read it and decide to put money behind it because my formatting is a little weird i write in google docs and i'm in final draft mm-hmm. and i'm not very visual so a lot of people receive my screenwriting work as essentially it's like akin to to playwriting it's not mm-hmm. always rife with some of the visual elements some of that for me is attitudinal because as an actor in america i observe that so often characters are written to be white in a way that bothers mm-hmm. me and mm-hmm. so i tend to write characters without defining visible elements of their physical identity mm-hmm. a lot of my characters i feel could be a woman could be a man could be a young person could be old could be white asian black i don't necessarily always have that in mind and so i remove those elements from the script mm-hmm. but uh, you know a low level reader or or a producer is pretty likely to read my work and not see it as visual enough to to necessarily hook into i find that actors love my my writing they actors at least the ones i work with tend to get very excited about the quirkiness and the dialogue heaviness
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the invitation to say weird shit and do weird stuff that other people don't ask them to do. Yeah. But I recognize I have to produce my own work in yeah. order to really get it done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally makes sense. And I think that's a great approach especially if you're just kind of starting out or you know and, and not to imply that you're starting out necessarily I mean I know you've done a, a lot of shorts I, think I, am. I mean you know
1: yeah yeah I, I didn't shoot anything seriously like yeah. with a with a real crew or or a small budget until covid right so I, I would say in terms of actively producing work or in terms of trying to to direct a feature i'm I'm at the Shallow end for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I'm
0: I mean, I think it's great to just kind of start out and spend some time like finding your own voice and experiment with stuff and just get stuff done, get stuff done as cheap as you can, and just go out and shoot and just, you know, kind of see what you can do rather than I think you know, the narrative that we've that some of us anyway have sort of inherited from like the nineties and the Kevin Smiths and the, you know, Robert Rodriguez. Well, no, Kevin Smith that, was
1: you know, was on that tip, on that producer no, yourself. It's it, it's totally true. It's just
0: that it, he, he was totally on that. It's just that he kind of inadvertently because of that instilled this dream in the rest of us that you could just like make your first film and it would be magic and everything would just explode from there right but that almost never happens oh right? the one film dream yeah, yeah the one film dream right you know and I you think know that- what
1: i i don't know if it's totally far-fetched i i wouldn't say it's the first film dream but what i have observed not to, sorry to interrupt you but no no totally fine. Uh, i'm from the east coast but yeah. what i've so am i what i'm <laughs> so totally used to it <laughs> is that Like I have a number of friends. I won't say that they're close friends. They're probably as close as they want to be (laughs) to me. (laughs) But, but friends like Alex Neuer, Jed Shepard are are a few filmmakers who are phenomenally talented. I would say very accomplished. Who it is that one? It's it's making one film, but it's just. It's probably not the first film. It's like you make one film and one film and one film, and then there's the one film that everyone pays attention to. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think that's kind of like getting back to what I was saying a little bit is that, you know, rather than just kind of sinking all of your eggs into this one, you know, great premiere, that's going to launch everything. Take a more stepwise approach and start with something small and kind of build your way up as you go, as you find your voice, as you maybe find some money and that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, uh, the, you know, there are so many ways now to get your films out there that, you know, getting them out there to, to where people can see them is not a problem like it used to be. You know, Kevin Smith had to worry about, is anybody going to watch my film? Because where am I going to put it? He didn't have the internet, but now we have the internet. And so just because you have it out there, of course, doesn't mean that you can get a lot of people to see it, but you, it's at least out there where somebody can see it. So you have an audience out there that's waiting for your content. And the way I see it is you just kind of keep hammering at it and like try to find your voice and try to find that one thing that you do that kind of resonates with people, you know, and then maybe who knows, you can take off. Can
1: I interject to that? Because I yeah. agree with you Hopefully. and I object. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So I think that, one, I think you're completely right. <laughs> and conversely, as a 90s kid, as a kid who grew up in the 90s, I think there are ways in which Kevin Smith, early Kevin Smith, had an advantage. This uh-huh. this maybe would have been late 80s, Kevin Smith. Okay, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what year Clerks
0: came out of uh, like 90 i want to say 94 95 something okay. like that well. So, I, so I started beautiful. film school in 94 and it came out while i was in film school so it's something like okay. that
1: Okay, yeah so let's say kevin smith in 1991 to me had an advantage kind of where as you pointed out the internet exists now culture has splintered in particular ways and so there's an inundation of entertainment in all forms and people are disconnected from each other in space yeah but when he came out, he had to shoot his film. He had to shoot it on film, which is expensive. He had to go into debt, I think. Yeah. $30,000 in debt is maybe something I heard, although I might be converging the Spike Lee story or something. but <laughs> It's hard to know, <laughs> but yeah. Right. Jersey, New York, is the same, it's different. Right. <laughs> but so once he made a film, I feel like there was a different type of physical community engagement, a different type of way to communicate with people in physical space and less, in a way less noise to compete with. It's like, once yeah. you made the film, that's so amazing. You have to put it in a physical theater. It's the only way. And then you get your community to come. And there's yeah. a sense of centrality to that that I guess I'm personally jealous of. But a lot of that is because I left home after high school. And so I've spent my entire adult life in spaces where I don't have a history of family and like friend connections and social networks. So so some of that is, is tinged and maybe biased but i feel like the 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 culture of the 90s if you could get over the hump of making the thing which is huge yeah and our advantage i think is technology but if you could get over the hump of the technology i feel like there was a little bit more space to be received in and Mm -hmm. i feel like now we're just all shouting we're just all shouting simultaneously in the infinite wind almost yeah
0: yeah i totally appreciate that and i'm you know i'm glad that you had the i don't know whatever it is the. Courage, I don't know, it's not really courage, but that you objected Stenicism. to what I said, because I love, you know, kind of back and forth on this and kind of talking about it, because I think it's, it is, it's really complicated. It's not so simple as necessarily the picture that I painted. And, you know, I totally agree with you. Like the challenge that we have today in the, you know, 2020s, whatever you call them, is, you know, totally different than the challenge that Kevin Smith had in the 90s or anybody else. And yet it's also the same. you got to go out and make a movie and you got to get people yes. to like it <laughs> or watch it or see it or whatever, you know? that basic challenge might be
1: a segue but also sure um, to some of what we initially connected over which is alternative distribution what do you do because i guess before before i launch into like something i want to ask you like how do you feel for example about dropping a film on youtube or about trying to use youtube as the way for people to receive your work how how does it like, does it feel successful to you? Have you felt like you've had success? Do you have any tips? I'm curious.
0: Uh, yeah, I can't. I can't. I'm not the one to to ask about success because I haven't done it yet. I haven't done anything like that yet. My history is a little bit unique in that, you know, I went to film school in the 90s. I made a feature documentary in the 2000s, which I played in a bunch of film festivals. It got some distribution on DVD to like, you know, little mom and pop video stores, that kind of thing. You look yeah. young. Yeah, no, I'm 53 years old. I'm, I'm, I look a lot younger than I am. So, oh, you look uh, great. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. You know, so I made that documentary. You know, before the internet era, and then I kind of took a, a hi- hiatus. You know, I worked as a professional for a while, saved some money, raised a kid, wrote a novel. Like, you know, did some things other than film. Oh, wow. what's your novel? Oh, it's, uh, it's not out yet. It's it's a science fiction novel called Homeworld. It's still I'm in the final touches of it now, and going to put oh. it out there and hope, hope to get it get a literary agent or something like that probably next year. You know, I put a lot of energy into that side of my creative life and the filmmaking stuff kind of, it was sort of an upholding pattern. It was on my radar. It just wasn't something that I was able to fully dive into. And so I'm only diving fully into it now after all that time. And so I don't really have the experience of putting stuff out there on the internet yet. I've talked to a lot of people who have through this podcast and, and other ways, but I don't really know. So when you talk, when you ask me like, you know, what's the experience of just putting stuff on YouTube? I don't really know. I know people that I could ask that question, you know, like, and and they would have their ideas and I know that I've heard. Well, how about
1: the universe? You what's your experience of finding films on on YouTube or on various platforms on the internet have you felt like it's really connected you with a lot of film a lot of film that you like with filmmakers or do you feel isolated from it or I'm just I'm very curious about that
0: yeah it's a it's a it's an interesting question i mean i have to admit that i don't tend to go looking randomly for films i have a big long list of movies that i want to watch a large percentage of those are successful movies. They're not just movies that you find on YouTube. And so that's where I focus a lot of my attention, but, but definitely in, with, in association with this podcast, I watch movies that are lesser known, but on the internet and on things like Tubi and Freevee, things like that. I know what I'm looking for when I go find a movie and I don't tend to find movies just by randomly finding things. Now, I know that that's not how a lot of people watch movies especially these days. And so I'm not, you know, necessarily typical in that sense. But that's what kind about of function things. So Do you yeah, have experience with that? Yeah, I've definitely gone to, you know, my fair share of film festivals. Portland had a long running international film festival here that I went to religiously every year and saw a lot of, you know, international films that way that I never would have seen otherwise. I go to the Portland Horror Film Festival frequently. Yeah, I see films that way sometimes that I would never see otherwise. And they're great. I love film festivals.
1: Do you follow up? Like, do you feel like films that you've connected with at film festivals have led you to either follow a filmmaker into the future or to see that film again in a new context sometime? I don't know about seeing them in a new context, although
0: probably I've definitely there have been films I've seen in film festivals that I have then I derived something special from them. And then I was like, I need to see that film again. And so I go look for it and find it on the Internet, usually, which is something you didn't used to be able to do. And yeah, I definitely, there are filmmakers whose careers I've been definitely turned on to by seeing their films and film festivals that I probably would never have run into otherwise. So yeah, I've, you know for me, film festivals are definitely a resource for that kind of thing. I okay, probably Okay, one, one more question.
1: <laughs> okay, I'm supposed to be interviewing you, but that's okay. Uh, I know, but <laughs> i fascinated. What about independent film, like cinema theaters? Do you seek them out or do you find them around and have those- Experiences led you to divergent films, or is that not something that you're experiencing?
0: Yeah, I guess it depends. Do you mean like independent art house cinemas, or do you mean like really more fringe, you know, theaters that aren't even theaters necessarily? They're you know spaces where people show films and that kind of thing. Both, because I definitely do the former. I definitely go to art house movies, art house cinemas. You know, I go to blockbusters once in a while, but it's actually not where I, you know spend most of my movie going money I go to art house films but I go I, I admittedly
1: blockbuster go, films you mean not blockbuster video
0: <laughs> yeah no did I say blockbuster video
1: no you said uh, blockbusters yeah. and i just am I'm
0: oh yeah no no I'm, i mean like you know the big the big you know superhero movies and stuff like that you know Got i don't see them okay. occasionally but i see smaller films but they're still you know their films put out by A24 their films put out yeah. by what's the other one neon or something uh, you know like i'm not a consumer of really fringe level feature films the way i yeah i don't have anything against that it's just i don't do it i've got too many other movies that i want to see
1: yeah but the list do, is infinite
0: i do end up seeing more of those because of this podcast and that's great like uh, you know i love having sort of an excuse to do that and to go watch some of these films that are made with lower budgets and that don't necessarily have big successful distributions in theaters and you know, things like that so you know more and more i'm sort of branching out into those kinds of as you said divergent films and probably should do more of it i'm definitely an appreciator of divergent films and films that are taking chances and i don't think enough films do that
1: well the less budget the more chances you can take right oh for sure
0: yeah yeah definitely yeah so i'm kind of now curious like why why are you why ask me like what are you looking for when you
1: ask me these questions i'm kind of curious to see what you're um i feel educated i feel like you shared a lot a very potent information in those three questions, huh. I guess I am setting up talking about my own struggle, which is sort of why I got excited about your podcast. Because on, on the one hand, my first thought was I'm not the, the person to be a guest on your podcast because people who are listening to a podcast on film distribution would want to hear about two, two things, success stories and process. Yeah. The success stories are like, I did well, and this is how, and process is, these are the actual steps, right? Yeah. And I have hesitance to claim anything I've ever done as a success story. And I feel ignorant about process because any work that I've done that sort of crossed a certain threshold beyond just being tangible to the people who are physically around me, there was another person involved who did steps that I don't understand. Huh. So, for example, I was telling you before we started recording, I have two films that I co-produced that are feature films on major streaming platforms. And, you know, I'm proud of both of them, of being connected to them. I have my own critiques of both of them, yeah, largely because I've never directed a feature film script that I've written myself. So it's not choices I would have made. Yeah. It's other people's choices. Yeah. So I'm, I'm proud of those films, Thieves Code on Prime. Symphony horror anthology on Apple TV and other platforms and I'm I'm very glad to be over one of the thresholds of being associated with the feature film as like a serious creative partner as opposed to like an extra because I do have you know films that I've been an extra in which is a different thing so yeah I don't know a lot about procedure but but on the other hand I have taken a lot of swings at alternative methods of getting films out there, which Led me to think that it might be worth talking to you or you might be interested or, you know, whatever.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, you know, for what it's worth <laughs> so far, it's been great having you on the podcast. We've had a great conversation here that has been kind of just whatever has come up. And those are the best conversations uh, as opposed to just going through and getting all of the, pa- the pat answers that you get from yeah. you know, maybe some other, po- you know, it's uh, this is totally great. And, you know, I, in my sort of sh- introductory spiel to this podcast, I say something about, you know, I interview filmmakers about their stories and distributing their films their successes and their failures you know so like i'm not actually just looking for the success stories i'm looking for all the stories oh yes um, i got lots I, of failures yeah yeah no no and i mean I, you know and i've i've heard them before on, on other podcasts and i've heard success stories too and, you know, and the thing is, is there's there's a lot of room in between there doesn't necessarily need it's not a binary thing, whether you're successful or not. There's a lot of territory in between. And that's really where I live. That's where that's where I'm actually really interested in in hearing people's stories is what are they where are they finding success for themselves as opposed to, you know, where are they getting their their success externalized and you know it kind of defined for them from outside where are they finding it for themselves and that's a beautiful overarching theme to this podcast it's that it's that everybody that i talk to has found some form of success for themselves whether they've been financially successful or not whether lots of people have seen their films or not everybody's proud of the work they've done and you know i'm proud to just kind of get that out of people and to and to Translate those stories into stuff that other filmmakers and aspiring filmmakers and anybody else who wants to listen to this podcast can take away from that. And so, as far as my conversation with you, I've already gotten (laughs) plenty of stuff I think that people are going to find really interesting. You know, some insightful discussion of, you know, what it's like to jump into filmmaking and try to make interesting films. And, you know, maybe not necessarily measuring your success by whether. You get picked up by Miramax, like Kevin Smith did in the '90s, and that kind of thing. You know, like those, Ooh, are, those, subject. those are stories. Those are
1: great stories. The so, Weinstein's are hard to talk about. Now. Well, yeah, okay, right, right, right. <laughs> I forgot
0: that "Miramax" is like a curse word now.
1: So, yeah. <laughs> no. Well, let me let me say this one. I don't want yeah. you to get in any trouble. Don't talk about it. I just found out that the trailer to one of my shorts, the most sort of fully realized piece of work that I've directed and produced. Has 1,000, 1.2 thousand 1. views, which is not particularly high, but it shocked me because last time I looked, it was way less. It was like half that or less. So I don't know what happened. I'm confused about that. Yeah. Two, I would love to get you on my podcast, which is not regularly produced, it's intermittently produced, but it is, it would be, it's me and it would be you just improvising the concept for a film that we could theoretically write and produce if we wanted. Oh, I love which it. which I think would be really fun. Yeah. And then three, I will outline just briefly three divergent techniques I have attempted to implement with regard to distribution. So yeah. first of all, I'm a comic. I'm a standup comic. Yep. I've spent 17 months on the road around North America on stage, performing for frequently not very many people. Sometimes there's there's more of a crowd. And so one of the things I did after producing Cinder 2 which is I'd like to say it's available digital direct, which yep. is to say I can show it to you through the internet <laughs> right, right, right digital direct.. Yep. And so uh, I implemented a ticketing concept wherein people can buy a ticket to Cinder 2 by sending Venmo or PayPal or whatever sending a range. we usually operated between like five to ten suggested. Some people sent a lot more, some people yep. sent the minimum. If they sent more than the minimum, we would send them a link to the film along with other materials. There's a novelette that's The Antecedent. There was a musical selection of original sort of sample-based hip-hop. And so we would send them this package. That they say it spent $10 instead of 5 And so a number of people have seen Cinder 2 that way. Not that many. I could look at the number. I would say it's probably more than 300 and less than 1,000 views. But I, I could be wrong. I don't really check it that often anymore. And so when I went on on tour, sort of the most recent tour that I went on, it would involve me going to bars. A lot of times I perform in bars where I might just be hanging out. I'm at the bar, someone else is there and I'll say to them, like, hey, you like you like movies, you like film? Cool. Buy me a drink. I'll give you a ticket to my movie. You can watch yeah. you can watch this movie. And that's that's a way that, especially on the road, it's pretty common. Like someone's at the bar, sure, buy you a drink, buy me a drink. We had these tickets that we printed out. they were essentially small flyers with some information on them. And we would throw them out on tables before a show, do the show, let people know you can buy tickets to our movie. And we found that the word ticket was very effective because people know what a ticket is. Yeah. And so even though the concept of the process is abstracted, it's still, you pay money, you get a ticket, you see a movie, and that's pretty pretty straightforward. I also recently did a similar thing on Craigslist where I just wrote ticket to black indie cinema and then put a link. It's like click for the ticket and it's like the film is there. So that's one, one attempt at distribution. Another method I've used is we did a local Berkeley premiere of Cinder 2 on Berkeley Community Media, which is essentially a cable access channel in Northern California. It it happened through a friend of a friend But so I got them my film, we planned a date and I promoted it locally. I really want to do this with more cable access channels to 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 do regional premieres in, you know, any region reaching out and seeing if they want to share my film. I've I've done a little bit of that, but it's going to require research because it's like Glenn, Gary Glenn Ross, you need the leads and if there's no list, then you got to make the list. And that's what I spent a lot of my time doing is compiling cold call information and then following up later. Yep. So that's two ways. And the third way that we have attempted, I believe I'm screening my film December 29th. We just did an event in Los Angeles at Gardena Cinema that was a combination stand-up comedy show and film screening. We screened six short films. Most of the filmmakers were present. It was a pretty small audience relative to the size of the theater, which seats uh, 800, I think 750 or 800 people. Yeah. We we knew that we weren't likely to be able to fill that theater. So we came up with a strategy to try to utilize a portion of the space and kind of control the space. And the event went pretty well. The, the theater liked it. The comics seemed to enjoy it. I think the audience liked it. And the filmmakers, you know, six filmmakers who didn't really know each other connected. Yeah. I actually opted not to screen my own film at the last event because... I thought it was probably a more significant long term goal to get more filmmakers involved and have Mm. more people sort of engaging. But for December 29th, I have this concern of the same question. It's like I I have friends and people who I want to show their work. I assume the program can't be more than like maybe an hour, and 20 minutes. My Mm. film is 36 minutes long, Mm. which means it's not really suitable for film festivals. It's too short to be a feature film it essentially functions as a pilot for a series that doesn't exist and it's like there's nowhere to place it there's mm. no streaming platform that's major that really is for that and so that's what i'm sort of reckoning with right now
0: yeah yeah it makes total sense so a lot to unpack there i'm going to go back to kind of number one which i think kind of goes back even a little bit earlier in our conversation to talking about youtube and you know how, how i found you know just putting stuff straight on youtube that kind of thing you know and just to comment on that a little bit further, I mean, I think I've heard I've heard several times now on different podcasts, filmmaking podcasts, particularly like low budget filmmaking podcasts that I've listened to, that YouTube is becoming more and more like a place that people are actually finding some success in monetizing. You know, they're putting stuff out there and there's just this kind of, there's this viral spread that happens where, you know, certain films just kind of take off. And it, it doesn't even necessarily need to be a huge viral spread. Well, that, that's the thing is that it can be a small viral spread, but you get subscribers. And so then the next time you put a film out, you already have a built-in audience. And then that can have a little bit of spread. And you, know, you just kind of build up a web of subscribers that are not only reacting to, to finding your content, but, but that are anticipating your content. We are in an era where as hard as it is to get films distributed by traditional methods, it has never been easier to get your films out there somehow and find an audience without having to go through all of these fucking gatekeepers that we normally have to go through. Even though it's hard and you're competing with a lot of noise and a lot of other people that are doing the, the same thing, I think that's a great thing to be able to just bypass all of the decision makers and just get yourself get yourself out there directly to audiences and try to build audiences you know, that you can connect with directly but it takes time, you know, it takes effort to kind of put stuff out there continuously and time and chance, There's time like and chance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Intangible element, Right. And you know, whatever that ephemeral quality is, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, quality in terms of high production values or anything like that, but putting, you do have to put content out there. That's interesting and appeals to people. You know, you can't just make stuff in a vacuum and hope that people are going to love it, but that doesn't mean everything <laughs> needs to be crowd-pleasing. That, was my and all that kind of, Right. Yeah. You know, so, It's not something I have a lot of experience with and and haven't heard too much about, but I've heard little bits and pieces about how people have achieved, you know, some success that way. And of course, there are people who are enormously successful on YouTube during doing various things, you know, fishing videos or whatever. But so I think it's, it's definitely a viable way to approach building yourself sort of a, whatever you want to call it, career in filmmaking, whether that's really a, you know career where you're actually supporting yourself or not is a whole different matter but at least a uh, you know you're doing stuff at on a constant basis that people are seeing piece that strangers are seeing and
1: enjoying that reminds me of um (laughs) i think someone said this a while ago i don't think this is my own idea but the idea of an independent cinema only fans Mm -hmm. and only fans that you subscribe to and it would be probably not just one filmmaker but like regular up updated short film content through mm-hmm. this this OnlyFans platform, yeah. which I find intriguing.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry, can you uh, provide a little bit more detail on what you mean by that? OnlyFans? Like, how does that
1: work? So, OnlyFans is a platform through which individuals can upload content for subscription. So, it yeah. functions similar to Patreon, right? but it would... But it. I think the idea that appeals is maybe there's a little bit of a tingle of degeneracy to OnlyFans. Mm -hmm. So the idea that you like are using that platform, but not specifically for pornography instead, maybe for like edgy film content. Right. I think is maybe what the person had in mind. I don't remember who suggested it, but I do. I I love to reflect on on how to manipulate platforms in that way, because like Mm -hmm. after the strike, you know, there's a lot of people who are talking about let's build our own platform, let's build our own platform. And I think I've heard that a lot in different community scenarios people wanting to start from scratch mm-hmm. and i don't know i don't know if starting from scratch is the answer so i i feel like co-opting already successful spaces for new intentions maybe appeals to me more yeah
0: yeah totally i, I think that makes total sense also just to kind of go back to your ticket idea like i totally love that idea i totally love the idea of and, and you know so i can go i went and watched cinder 2 for free right uh, I had no idea that you had tickets for it or anything like that. I'd be happy to buy a ticket for it and support you. But the notion that you can put content out there for free, but you kind of appeal to fans to send you something if they think it's worth it or whatever, you know, I think is a perfectly
1: reasonable thing to do. It's perfectly reasonable to like... Um, I tend to switch between having Cinder 2 be unlisted and uh-huh. listed. So okay. frequently, it's a link that can only be found if you have the link. I see. And then sometimes at 2 a.m. I'll be like, fuck it. And i will just
0: just like, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I think that's useful too. Like you can, you can kind of see how it does when it is out there and people can find it and see if you get, you know, views that way or if you want to be more controlling of it and get money for it and know that you're getting money for it, you can restrict it. You know, there's it's not even all about kinds money, of,
1: money. Yeah. But and you know I didn't need to was? make it all about
0: money, but well, yeah. No, 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 no.
1: You're right. I mean, I need money, but, but <laughs> what, I, what I want to say is that I actually took about maybe three, maybe more years where I just decided I wasn't going to release my work anymore because mm-hmm. I just I like connecting with people. I like making work. I like having something I can refer to as my portfolio if I'm talking to someone. But I just realized that begging for an audience just was yeah. exhausting me and it was taking yeah. all of my time. And so I really spent more than two years just saying, I'm going to make work I'm going to put it online. I'm not going to release it. I'll show my friends and I'm just going to wait. Yeah. And then I'll see what happens. And it it sort of is is a little bit akin to when I had a hip hop crew, our our approach to music was, we're going to make so many fucking songs and we'll do our best. And we don't even know if they're good or not. But in two years, I will know if this is good. Yeah. If I like it in two years, then it's good enough. Right. And so like making stuff and not putting it out actually gave me... A sense of reclaiming power in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I totally understand that too. And I think that as much as I just went on about the whole ticket idea and how much I love that idea, I think there is a there is something to be said for that when you're in a position where you're asking for money or you're begging for money, it's also cheapening. It's cheapening Especially your if you're at term. home. Because
1: uh, yeah. if you're not at home, you're dealing with strangers or like if you're a club comic, you're on the road. Right. You don't have to worry about pissing somebody off, yeah. but you can't, really do the same thing in your own community you can't treat everyone like a customer
0: yeah 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 it's it's a hard i think it's a really hard balance to achieve and uh you know i don't have any easier answers to it but i love being able to think about it and think about different ways to I, i mean i think ultimately the end goal as an independent filmmaker the end goal for me is to find a way to connect directly with my audiences. You know, I have I have a talent that I want to share with people. I want to make content that they're entertained by. And I want them to be able to, you know, show their appreciation to me however they can I can. ask you a question?
1: Yeah. What is that when you say that they're entertained by, can yeah. you expand on what that, that verb entertain? What it means? Eh, yeah, that was the verb that I
0: found, but I recognize it that No, I a, like you know, it, but I'm just yeah.
1: intrigued by it. For
0: me, uh, my tastes in movies are so wide that the spectrum of the kinds of movies that I like are so wide that a lot of the movies that I like would not be considered entertainment by a lot of people. What and kind of movies do so, you not like? Uh, there's nothing. There's nothing that I don't like. Really? I mean, I mean, there are definitely movies that I don't like, but there are okay, so all kinds of kind movies of that I don't do like. What kind of films do you not tend to I, seek out? I don't seek out superhero movies. <laughs> I'm sick to death mm-hmm. of them. But okay. I've, there are ones that I've loved, you, you know, Were you like,
1: excited uh, when the trend started, like whatever it was, 10, 15 years ago? Not, not no, really. No, I, no,
0: I don't, I I'm, I'm not a comic book fan. I've never really been, I, and, and I've got okay. nothing against them. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm, I'm no, yes. they're a great art form. And I know there's people who love that art form, but it's just never something that's appealed to me. And so superhero movies never appealed to me any different than any other source of material for a big, blockbuster action movie you know to me they were just different forms of blockbuster action movies and there are some blockbuster action movies that i enjoy and a lot that i don't i don't like movies that i feel like are overly pandering that are you know sort of like going for the least common denominator i I like movies that are challenging and that you know even big big budget hollywood movies can be challenging and some of them are and i enjoy that when they do it i don't like movies that are like you know super pretentious like where i feel like the The director of the film just thinks of himself or herself, you know, very highly and, you know, has some, you know, big, great, important thing to say. And if we all don't get in, get it, then we're all stupid. You know, like I see movies like that, that other people love that I just don't love because I feel like they're too pretentious, but those are not kinds of movies. Those are just like particular movies within a kind of movie. And
1: there are no kinds that I don't like. What about you? What kinds of movies do you seek out? I'm going to start with the other question which is I don't like films that are framed with a voiceover narration introduction by a British voice. Okay? That's very specific, I hate specific, it specific but it's so totally much. fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it really bothers me. In a long in a larger kind of response to your actual question, I like movies that are the the word that sort of comes to me is asymmetrical, but I don't know if that really evokes anything, but I like sort of weird personal, evocative, unpredictable, dark stories, I like human stories, I like slice of life. Yep. I don't prefer, like, if if it's a biopic, I don't want it to be, I don't want it to open with birth. You know, I don't want it to open with your parents. If it's a biopic, I like it to start and end on the same Tuesday. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like heist films, I seek out heist films, I like spy films, con artist films, particularly thrillers, run and gun, violent shit, yeah. the screenwriters and, and filmmakers I respect the most. I talk to the most. We gather on Fridays on Clubhouse. You would love it. I totally yeah. would suggest you join us. Sure. And we idolize Fincher. Fincher is like, maybe the most highly respected filmmaker that regularly comes up in in those conversations. We We respond to Tarantino. I yeah. personally, love 90s films. I love 90s biopics. Mm -hmm. I like old, old films. I like watching like a black and white noir thriller from before 1960 that I've never heard of. Like Thrill Me. So many of those. (laughs) Uh, I like to watch actors. I don't respond as much to animation because I really want to watch actors and I want to study them and I have a confession, which is that I very frequently watch "quote unquote" watch films from outside the room. I like to listen to films and take in information that way. So I, I love, for example, like Bong Jun Ho. Right. Mm-hmm. I love uh, being able to put myself in the in the space of a captivating foreign film. Yeah. But I don't. I don't inherently gravitate to them for that reason. I do love the Nouvelle Vogue style. Mm -hmm. I think that what I've observed is I'm obsessed with the floating cam, sort of high exposure, sort of intimate framing and long cuts of that sort of French new wave style, which I believe has sort of resurgenced a little bit. I see it in Scorsese style. I see something like American hustle to me is like to say, not to say Scorsese is gone. Like I can't wait for killing of the flower moon, but like, I feel like David O. Russell in some ways has claimed the space in the wake of Scorsese with that yep. rich Nouvelle Vogue sweeping style those yep. shots that sort of travel through space and are time to music cues. Yep. And I love method work and I even love how problematic method work can be. I love the method so much that I honestly try to be a method viewer of cinema. If someone is drinking bourbon, I would like to drink bourbon. If someone's (laughs) making out, I kind of want to be making out during the scene. I want to get involved.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sounds sounds really cool. And I love the way you... (laughs) I love the way you describe. Fun kind of, night at the theater. Yeah, Met the night at
1: the theater, and you serve totally. bourbon right before the bourbon in the movie. <laughs> right, you like yep. come
0: here with a date. That's yep. funny. That yeah, yeah, it. yeah, totally. Yeah, make sure you come with somebody that you is okay making out with you, because you don't want to be making out with them if they don't want to be making. Yeah. Out. No, you. Gotta, it can be gotta, your friend. Got to check gotta the boxes before you go, but yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, and it'll be sponsored by Miramax. No, no yeah, yeah,
0: all right. Oh God, okay. Uh, so. <laughs> but, I love just hearing like all of the sort of stream of consciousness specifics about the, you know, w- what you like and, and w- what you dig in movies and stuff like that. I think it's really cool to just connect with somebody on that level. So,
1: yeah, you know what else is cool? A film with several different accents because people in the film have origins in different places. Yeah. I think also it's a really brilliant technique that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't work. I'm looking at you Fincher, in a session where, if you cast someone whose relationship sonically to the language is different from, like, they're not they're speaking English, but that's not what they started, that can sometimes mask acting concerns. Sometimes yeah. a bad actor isn't as bad of an actor in a different language. Yeah,
0: totally. Right. I really love when uh, movies take what would normally be kind of standard cardboard characters and turn them into interesting Organic creatures in their own right, for no better reason than to just do it, than to just be more textured and more interesting and more dynamic. And I, you know, I can't think of any particular examples off the top of my head. I'm very bad at recall, but you know, I, I think love I when know movies what you mean. Take, take that extra step to texturize characters
1: or to and, invert a cliche to, to yeah. play with the cliche but intentionally yeah. upend it.
0: Yeah, and it still pisses me off to this day when I watch not just movies but TV shows where they involve like big armies and the the arm or you know armies or police forces or whatever you know some kind of like authority figure and they're all still in 2023 white men you know like oh they, wow they just don't fill those roles those like cardboard authority figure roles like enforcers of you know sort of government authority roles with anybody but white men it's so weird you know, in 2023 that, that people aren't doing that. What was I watching? I was just watching something yesterday. Oh yeah. So I went to see the creator, you know, new science fiction oh, wow. movie. And it was all that, like all of the soldiers were men uh, there, you know, there's few like standout exceptions, but like, generally speaking, like, they're just like, there weren't white men in this case. It was cause it was took place, took place in Asia. So a lot of it was Asians, but it's just like, it's just such an overwhelmingly, I mean, aren't we past that by now? Aren't we like deliberately trying to move past that now, you know? There's but. a
1: criticism of Chris Nolan that I heard specifically with regard to um, ah, the film uh, with Tom Hardy and a plane. My The name uh, is escaping me. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I'm bad at recall, so I'm not... I'm so embarrassed that I can't remember the name of the film right now. I just rewatched it. The criticism of that film is that, and I really did enjoy Oppenheimer, and it kind of have a similar criticism of Oppenheimer, yeah, which is he left out the uh i believe it was the east asian armies that were stranded on the shore oh. he went to to incredible lengths to make a very accurate film and then ignored this one truth which is exactly what you're saying right. why are all these soldiers white on the shore when we know that there were indian sh- soldiers who were also stranded there and we yeah. know that there were these soldiers from i don't know the history that well but it's like he it's almost like he definitely intentionally Left them out, and you know people get scared of phrases like white supremacy. But it's like, yes, that that yeah. is a phenomenon. You know, yeah. it's a real function of what our society, uh, how our society operates. Yeah, so.
0: yeah, it's still there for sure.
1: <laughs> you know So just. Oh wait, uh, what what were you going to say? I was, gonna, I was I was going to bring gonna... up Barbenheimer as alternate distribution.
0: Yeah, I haven't actually seen Oppenheimer yet. Unfortunately, I had just was not able to get get around to it. But go ahead. What were you going to say?
1: Well, just because memes. As far as I understand, or at least I understand one argument about the Barbenheimer phenomenon, is that because of the strike, there wasn't traditional promo. And I've heard that there are objections to certain things that actors may have done to unofficially promote, like staging happenings Mm -hmm. where a film is mentioned, but they don't necessarily mention it themselves. But specifically with Barbenheimer, it seems like memeing became the dominant marketing campaign and Mm. somehow someone was able to set these two films against each other, whether it was intentional or whether it was a response to something accidental and then turn it into this binary star phenomenon, which is maybe worth reflecting on. I mean, it's not that helpful for indie filmmakers because obviously these, these are huge mechanisms that had a lot of impact on the culture and a lot of celebrities, but I still think it's interesting that it was like memes were the campaign.
0: Yeah. And and I would say, I, I think it's perfectly applicable to the independent filmmaker, because I think, you know, while you may not necessarily have the big bucks to, you know, clandestinely start some kind of, you know, internet, viral internet, you know, campaign like that, you definitely in marketing, in marketing your films, that's what indie filmmakers need to do. They need to think about interesting, unique, creative ways to, have people talking about their films. I think that that's that's actually vital to most independent filmmakers because most independent filmmakers don't have any other decent way to market their films other than this kind of undercurrent of sort of viral or democratic spread, you know?
1: Speaking to that, I have a filmmaker I would really love to introduce you to or to try to. His name is Gavin Michael Booth. Okay, And he is, I would say he's an expert on alternative marketing and innovative distribution. He loves to talk film and I think cool. he would enjoy talking with you. Yeah. And I would love to try to get you guys in touch.
0: Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm always looking for new people to talk to either, you know, on the podcast or outside the podcast too. So, yeah, totally cool. The ind- the independent filmmaker needs to always be on the lookout for what the big boys are doing, <laughs> you know, and how they're operating and try to absorb that into their own, you know, way of doing things as well. If absorb they, you know, it
1: or avoid it. Depending.
0: Absorb or avoid it. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, and and that's, I think, uh, you know, what a filmmaker chooses to absorb or avoid is a personal decision that every filmmaker needs to make. But it's really helpful, I think, to just be paying attention and to be aware of, like, what's going on there and what's working and what's not and what's, what, what's effective. What's changing. What's changing. Yeah, totally. Right, 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 you know. And it's hard, I think, to be a filmmaker if you're not going to pay attention to all of that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, it's one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is a very selfish, you know, motivation to keep yeah. myself in touch with how people are distributing their films, their independent films, because I'm making an independent film and I want to know how I'm going to distribute it. And I have no idea so far, you know, how I'm going to do that. Getting everybody's stories and like, you know, just kind of trying to get all of this, absorb all of this information and, and oh. digest it and use it. I have one more my thing. own strategies. Um, yeah, go
1: ahead. I'm so sorry. Uh, no, 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 I just sorry. remembered. And I, I feel like you said an hour. So I think we're winding down. Yeah, but, it's, um, it's all good. One. So when, when I was completing center two, we had a rough edit, but it wasn't complete. And so I wanted to try to start or continue to get energy. So we cut this trailer. It's not super compressed, so it could be louder, but we cut this trailer. That's a YouTube video. And I started sending it out. I sent it to, I like I said, I do cold calling. I'll do hours and hours of cold calling, yeah. twelve hours in a day. Sometimes yeah. I've I've spent months where I, every time I watch a movie, I wrote down the name of every production company and then separately looked up their contact information and then made a list and then, you know, spent hours and hours following up. So I reached out to fucking everyone and I sent so many. I, I literally for weeks would spend eight to 12 hours a day cold calling for cinder two and almost all of that I would say was a waste like not a waste but was not effective almost all of it was just like energy that I won't ever get back but I heard back from like one Montana radio station I heard back from a few people here and there and the most interesting response I got was actually from a person who I consider a contact now we've been in touch for a couple years at Magnolia Distribution, and it was just a cold call like all the other cold calls. And somehow that one landed. I heard back on this one day when the film still wasn't finished. I got an email from Magnolia Distribution and I freaked out. I had a (laughs) like a very minor mental breakdown, actually. And I started calling like all my co-producers and anyone I could think of who I might be able to talk to who's like associated with my film, and I couldn't reach anyone. And I didn't know what to do, so I didn't respond to the message because essentially the message was, is this a feature film, which I knew that Mm. no matter how hard I tried, we were not going to successfully turn (laughs) what I had shot into a feature film. So Mm. I didn't want to just write back and say no. So I I just stalled and I didn't respond. And then in the same day, I would say within a couple hours, I got another email from the same person at Magnolia Distribution that was like, I would like more for like they didn't let me off the hook, and then I got yep. really freaked out because I'm like, I have to respond something. And long story short, short, I ended up saying like, this project is not a feature film. However, I will happily let you know when I am shopping a feature because I just didn't want to leave it hanging on no. Yep. And she said yes, please do. So now I still haven't written and directed a feature since then. But what happened was when I became involved with the symphony project that's a whole long story and super involved but essentially when the film was completed they were seeking out distribution the uh executive producers at screen anthology and they communicated with the other producers on the project that they had secured i believe it was three offers Mm -hmm. and they were looking for more more offers but they had maybe it was two it was like they had more than one offer but less than four And I remembered that I had this pending conversation with Magnolia. And so I reached out to the executive producers and I said, would you like me to reach out to Magnolia? And, you know, I don't want to overstep. And the conclusion was, yes, why don't you do that? And I'm under the impression that getting them in touch with a third distributor helped to sort of tip the scales where it went from, we have two or three distributors interested Two, we have seven distributors interested. And then eventually we ended up with dark sky films. And so one of the things I'm attempting to do in my life is to maintain that channel mm-hmm. with Magnolia distribution. Obviously during the strike, uh, it was closed, yeah. but so I'm always looking for undistributed feature films to recommend. It's not so much that I have like any golden ticket, but I just right. want to keep talking to Magnolia.
0: Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's, uh, definitely need to keep those contacts open. When you develop a contact like that, you gotta keep it open for sure. It makes total sense. All right. Well, yeah, we are kind of getting close to the hour mark here, but I just wanna, you know, are there any other final thoughts you wanna leave us with or anything? Personal ones. We didn't I, I cover? Wanna...
1: Yeah, go ahead. Well, I just I wanna keep talking to you. I wanna see some of your work. Cool. Um I appreciate that you have watch some of my work because honestly it can be pretty hard to get anyone to do that. <laughs> yeah. And I would love to possibly think through either collaborating possibly on the screenings that we're doing down here. If you would yeah. want to be involved in that or yeah. possibly I just was in Portland a little while ago and I have a lot of friends in Portland. Possibly it would be fun to put something together there. And yeah. I really love mixing media. So like not just having filmmakers, but like, or not just having stand-up comedy fans but seeing if we can combine musicians, live performers and film yeah uh in different ways to sort of maximize the impact of the various art forms.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. I'm totally down with with stuff like that. So yeah, let's keep talking. Let's let's stay in
1: touch. Well, thank you, man. Yeah. I really appreciate oh, thank you taking the time.
0: Any any uh do you want to leave any contact information for listeners where they can watch your movies and find oh you, yeah, follow your work, all that kind so. of stuff?
1: Well, use code is on Prime. If you have an account, you don't have to pay to watch it. I don't think. I think it's just free still. Yep. Symphony horror anthology is on Apple TV. But if you want to see my contribution, it's only available on the DVD extras. Uh-huh. So you have to buy the DVD from Jeff Bezos. And then you can watch Rose Motel. And Cinder 2, if you reach out to me, I'm on Instagram at Kaufman Comedy. You can Reach me on my website is com b-a-r-a-k-a-n-o-e-l dot com. Yeah, I'm available. Hit me up. Let's talk. All
0: right, there you have it. My conversation with Baraka Noel. Thanks everybody for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and or review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. That is the absolute best way that you can help me grow the show and reach a wider audience of independent filmmakers and others who just wanna try to understand this crazy, crazy world of independent film distribution. Uh, As always, you can feel free to contact me directly with any feedback or suggestions for the show. You can find me on Twitter or should I say X or Instagram at darkrosecollin Or you can email me at colin at darkrosepictures.com. That's C-O-L-I-N-1-L at darkrosepictures.com. And by the way, darkrosepictures.com is my website for my feature and other projects. Its purpose is not just to promote my films, but to tell my story. With full honesty and transparency, telling the story of my own personal filmmaking journey. So if you want to follow the process of an independent filmmaker from development all the way through to distribution, this is a great way to do that. Check it out. DarkRosePictures.com. Anyway, I want to thank Baraka Noel for a really fun and interesting conversation this week. I also want to thank my new editor, Jeff Verimut, for editing this episode. I have more great guests lined up in the coming weeks talking all things indie distribution, so stay tuned, keep making movies, keep getting those movies out there into the world, and as always, thank you so much for listening. See you next week.